0: Welcome to Murder Minute. On today's episode, Vera Page. But first, your true crime headlines. After 35 years of being known only as John Doe, a victim in a Florida cold case has been identified by his belt buckle. On January 23, 1985, the body of an adult male, a victim of a murder, was found in the area of West Klondike Road and Wild Lake Boulevard. Authorities did not find an ID on the body, which could have been lying there for months, possibly more than a year, before his remains were found. The Escambia County Sheriff's Office released details about the victim's location and other identifying factors to the public. There was little to go on but the initials inscribed on the man's belt. W.T. Years passed, but no one came forward to identify the body, and no tips came in. The case went cold until 2018, when someone looking into a missing relative came upon the cold case entry on the county sheriff's office website and contacted authorities when they noticed that the initials, location, and timeline fit their uncle's disappearance. He was last in touch with family in September of 1983, when he spoke to his mother on the phone, but no one had reported him missing. Police enlisted the help of the medical examiner's office, which took a sample of the family member's DNA and compared it with a sample from John Doe. The DNA was a match. The victim has now been identified as 49-year-old William Ernest Thompson, The investigation into his murder has been reopened. A Tennessee man has been charged in connection with the fatal shooting of a father by his three-year-old daughter in a car in Memphis. 26-year-old Alante Jones has been charged with reckless homicide and unlawful possession of a weapon. The victim was driving a car with a woman in the front passenger seat. And his daughter in the back seat when he stopped to pick up jones to take him home jones climbed into the back seat next to the girl jones then took out a handgun and put it down where the girl could reach it she picked up the gun and was playing with it when it went off shooting her father in the head he died at the scene jones was heard and seen On surveillance footage apologizing for his role in the victim's death, according to police. Jones did not have a permit to carry a gun. His arraignment is scheduled for Friday. In Columbus, Ohio, a man shot and killed a woman in her apartment and then took his own life. Police were sent to the residence at 9.30 a.m. on Sunday morning, by family members concerned about the welfare of 53-year-old Kimberly Thomas. Police and emergency medical personnel entered the unit and found Thomas and a 54-year-old male who were both pronounced dead at 10:17 a.m. Police said that the preliminary information indicates that the 54-year-old man shot and killed Thomas before taking his own life. His name is being withheld pending notification of his next of kin. Those are your true crime headlines. Up next, Vera Page. But first, a quick break. I'm always looking for the best clean nutrition to help me stay healthy, active, and feeling my best. And it can be challenging to stick to good habits in 2020. That's why I'm so happy that I found Orgain. Orgain has all kinds of organic products to fit my active lifestyle and keep me moving. Like nutrition shakes, protein powders, meal powders, bars, all full of organic vitamins and minerals that taste delicious and provide maximum nutrition. This is a game changer. I've been using Orgain's collagen peptide powder to keep my hair, skin, and nails youthful and healthy. Because one thing that Orgain and I agree on is that neither of us use fillers. Orgain promises never to use artificial ingredients, preservatives, or GMOs. Just good, clean nutrition. Plus, Orgain ships right to your door, and you can set up recurring deliveries to get your favorite products delivered for free. Thanks to Orgain, I finally found the best clean products to help keep me healthy and maximize my nutrition. And right now, you can save 20% off your first order. Plus, when you subscribe, you can save even more. Go to tryorgain.com slash minute 50. That's tryorgai dot slash minute 50 for 20% off your first order plus extra savings when you subscribe. That's tryorgain.com slash minute 50. Is there something interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving your goals? In difficult times, it can be difficult to cope. So if you've been thinking about talking to someone, it's time to get better help. Better help is not a crisis line. And it's not self help. BetterHelp is professional counseling done securely online. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist so that you can start communicating in under 48 hours. They have a broad range of expertise available, and the service is available for clients worldwide. Just log into your account anytime and send a message to your counselor you'll get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions so that you don't ever have to sit in a waiting room. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches so they make it easy and free to change your counselor if you need to. Plus, it's more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is available. BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. Just visit their website and read the testimonials posted daily. Like this one, written by a BetterHelp user after counseling with Dr. Denise Finney for two weeks. Dr. Finney is very accessible and takes time to really listen to what's bothering you and provides helpful coping strategies. She's a wonderful therapist. Visit BetterHelp.com MurderMinute that's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P. And join the over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp that they're recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. Murder Minute listeners get 10% off your first month when you visit BetterHelp.com slash That's BetterHelp.com slash Murder Minute. When you've finished binging your favorite true crime podcast, there's always one lingering question. Now what? Sure, you could fall down a Google wormhole trying to solve the case, or doomscroll social media. But these days, I'd rather take a load off and clear a few levels of best fiends. Best Fiends is the app that engages my brain with challenging but fun puzzle games. It's simple and fun. The good guys are the bugs, and the bad guys are the slugs. Complete the puzzles to defeat the slugs, collecting keys and unlocking new fiends along the way, like Brittle the Housefly, Edward the Mosquito, Gordon the Scorpion, and my best fiend, Pop the Axolotl. The more you play, the more fun it gets. I'm on level 167, and with new monthly updates, themed challenges, and holiday puzzles, there's always one more level, and the adventure never gets old. This is my pandemic must-play, so the next time you need a break from the news cycle or run out of shows to binge-watch, download Best Fiends free. You might find yourself wondering how you ever found time for a dull moment before, Best Fiends has thousands of levels already. It's hours of fun at your fingertips and can even be played offline. This game has 100 million downloads and tons of 5-star reviews for a reason. Download Best Fiends free on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R. Best Fiends. welcome back to murder minute vera isabel minnie page was born in hammersmith london on april 13 1921 the page family were working class vera's father charles worked as a painter with great western railways her mother isabel was a housewife and vera was their only child To help make ends meet, Charles and Isabel occasionally rented rooms in their home, usually to family and friends. Then, in January of 1931, they decided to move. They left their home on Chapel Road in Notting Hill, now known as St. Mark's Place, and moved into a three-story house in nearby Blenheim Crescent. The Page family occupied the lower part of the house, on both the ground floor and the basement. An older couple lived on the upper floors, 71-year-old Arthur Rush and his 70-year-old wife Annie, who had lived there for 20 years. On the afternoon of Monday, December 14, 1931, Vera returned home from Lancaster Road School. And then left the house to walk to her aunt minnie's minnie lived at 70 blenheim crescent roughly 50 yards from the pages at 22 blenheim crescent vera had recently been awarded two swimming certificates but forgot them at aunt minnie's so at 4:30 pm she put on her blue coat and her red beret and went to go fetch them when At 5.30 p.m., Vera had not returned home. Her father, Charles, decided to go to Minnie's. But Vera wasn't there. Minnie said that Vera had come by to pick up the certificates, but left at approximately 4.45 p.m., saying that she wanted to get home in time for dinner. Charles went round the houses of Vera's friends looking for her and the homes of other relatives. But Vera was nowhere to be found. At 10.45 p.m., Charles went to Notting Hill Police Station and reported his daughter missing. Friends, family, and neighbors searched through the night and into the next morning On Tuesday, December 15th, Vera's description was circulated among police, and the local news media were notified of the little girl's disappearance. It appeared that Vera had not headed directly home as planned. A school friend came forward who said that sometime between 5 and 6 p.m., she spoke to Vera outside the chemist's shop at the corner of Blenheim Crescent, and Portobello Road. It was almost Christmas, and Vera told her friend that she wanted to purchase the soaps displayed in the window as a gift for her parents. They were shaped like dominoes. Vera's friend remembered that Vera was holding a large envelope, which her Aunt Minnie confirmed would have held the swimming certificates. When her friend walked away, Vera was still standing in front of the shop window. It was the last verifiable sighting of Vera Page alive. At around 9:50 a.m. on Wednesday, December 16th, 1931, a milkman, Joseph Smith, was performing his rounds near Holland Park when he noticed something in the bushes in front of 89 Addison Road. The moment I stepped into the garden, I saw the body, he said. The child was laying on her right side, and the lapel of her coat almost covered her face. She looked as if she was lying asleep under the bushes, except that her face was like marble. I told the cook at the house, and then... Went out and found a policeman. Vera's remains had been disposed of hastily, and her killer had made little attempt to conceal the child, apart from throwing a few handfuls of dirt and leaves on her body. A pathologist, Sir Bernard Spilsbury, concluded that Vera had been raped, then strangled to death. Shortly, after the last confirmed sighting of her alive on the night of her disappearance. It had been approximately 40 hours since Vera disappeared, yet her body wasn't rigid, and decomposition was relatively advanced. She had been dead for over 24 hours. This led investigators to believe that her body must have been kept someplace fairly warm. It was cold, moist, and misty in December, and it had rained heavily from 3 p.m. to 9 p.m. the previous day. But Vera's clothing was mostly dry and was wet only where her body had touched the ground in the garden. Investigators believed that Vera's body could not have been at the location for more than two hours before it was discovered. The occupant of the house, owned by the widow of a man named Charles Smith, corroborated this. She informed investigators that she left the house at 7.50 a.m. and did not see a body. If the body had been in the garden, she said, it could not have gone unnoticed. The milkman had been at the home at 5.30 a.m. delivering milk to Mrs. Smith, and the body was not in the garden at that time. When Vera was found, she was missing her red beret. Her body was superficially bruised, and she had a welt mark on her neck that appeared to have been inflicted by a ligature after death. A worn section of an ammonia-stained finger bandage was found stuck against the inner elbow of her right arm, which most likely came off the killer's hand as he disposed of her body. Candle wax was splattered on Vera's right shoulder and on her coat, and soot and coal dust were smeared on her face. This led investigators to conclude that Vera's body had most likely been hidden in either a coal shed or a cellar, one with no electricity. Some 200 detectives were assigned to the investigation. Police went door to door throughout the vicinity of her disappearance and the area that her body was discovered. Over 1,000 people were formally questioned. Several thousand witness statements were obtained by police and the media appealed to the public for anyone with information to come forward. She was our only little girl Charles Page said. A fine little lass. And I could not imagine anyone wanting to do her harm. She was full of fun and life and was the joy of our hearts. Vera was a shy, well behaved child who had never spent a night away from home and had been warned never to talk to strangers. Investigators believed that she was most likely abducted by someone she knew trusted on December 17th a woman living close to Addison Road named Kathleen Short walked into Notting Hill police station she was holding a child's red beret she told police that she'd found the hat at approximately 9:30 p.m. the previous evening quite close to where Vera had last been seen alive Charles and Isabel Page identified the beret as belonging to their daughter. The woman also told police that near where she found the red beret, she'd also found sections of torn paper, which she had picked up and thrown away, possibly Vera's swimming certificates. She also found a section of candle, which she used And then also discarded. Another eyewitness said that on the morning that Vera's body was discovered, they noticed that a door to a coal shed close to Addison Road, which was always closed and locked, had been left ajar. The coal shed had no electricity. But one witness, Mrs. Margaret Key, may have actually seen the killer disposing of Vera's body. She told investigators that on the morning of December 16th at approximately 6.40 a.m. she had observed a man pushing a wheelbarrow in the direction of Addison Road. Inside the wheelbarrow appeared to be a large bundle covered with a distinctive red tablecloth with a knitted fringe her physical description fit that of a local man, 41 year old Percy Orlando Rush. Percy was the oldest son of Arthur and Annie Rush, who lived upstairs from the Page family at 22 Blenheim Crescent. He and his wife now lived at nearby Talbot Road, but Percy had once lived at the house on Blenheim Crescent. In fact, he still had a key and he visited frequently, usually on Mondays. Percy Rush had served in World War 1. Then, in 1923, he was convicted of indecent exposure and served 1 month in prison. In 1927, he did it again. In 1929, He began work as a flannel washer at Whiteley's Laundry, where he came into contact with ammonia on almost a daily basis. In June of 1931, Percy exposed himself to two school-age children. The local paper described him as, quote, "...behaving indecently with intent to insult females." On December 18th, Percy Rush was brought in for questioning. I knew Vera Page. He admitted. She was a pretty sweet little kid. I liked her. I always looked upon her as a nice little girl. I have never given her sweets, money, or toys. I have seen her playing in the streets outside her own home. I last saw her about three weeks ago. Percy had a small injury on the little finger on his left hand. He said that he injured his finger at work on December 9th and at first made a rough bandage for the wound. Then, at home later that evening, his wife made him a more compact and comfortable bandage so that the ammonia that he came into contact with at work would not aggravate the wound. This bandage, he claimed, he burned in his fireplace on December 11th, and he had not worn one since because he, quote, wanted to harden the wound. Percy's co-workers confirmed the injury and that he had returned to work the next day with a homemade bandage to protect the wound from the ammonia. They could not recall if he had a bandage on December 14th. police decided to search Percy Rush's home. There, they collected sections of bandage and a distinctive red tablecloth with knitted fringe, matching the description of the one covering the wheelbarrow. Candle wax from Vera's body was matched to the candles found in Percy's home. The same candle wax was found on his overcoat, as well as coal dust and semen. The ammonia-soaked bandage found on Vera's body, however, didn't appear to quite match the bandages found in Percy's home. A Notting Hill superintendent, George Cornish, would later state that during their initial interrogation of Percy Rush, they had made a mistake. When Percy had simply been one of several potential suspects officers had informed him of the finger bandage found at the crime scene they asked percy to voluntarily hand over all samples of bandage at his home and he had complied with what cornish later described as a disturbing faint smile on his face this had given percy rush time to dispose of the corresponding bandages It would prove to be a crucial error. On December 23rd, 1931, Vera Page was laid to rest. Her funeral was held at Presbyterian Mission Hall, where she attended Sunday school, and she was buried in Kensington Cemetery. There is nothing I can say to you who mourn in bitter sorrow, Reverend. Guthrie said, except that your grief is being borne today by the whole nation. On February 10, 1932, the coroner's inquest was held. Percy Rush claimed that on Monday, December 14th, his wife Daisy was visiting her mother, and that although he usually visited his parents on Mondays, this time he did not. He left work for the day at 5.55 p.m., he said, and decided to go shopping in Kensington. He said that he returned home at approximately 8.30 p.m., and his wife returned soon after. They then went to bed at approximately 10.30 p.m. Percy Rush now claimed that he hardly knew Vera at all, wouldn't recognize her in the street And had only spoken to her once, contrary to his original police statement. Police interviewed local chemists, but none could verify if they had ever sold the type of bandages found on Vera's body to Percy or Daisy Rush. Percy and his wife did not own a wheelbarrow, and police could not locate it or find evidence that he borrowed or stole one to dispose of the body. The jury was not informed of Percy's indecent exposure charges. After just 5 minutes deliberation, the jury returned their verdict. Murder by person or persons unknown. They believed that there was insufficient evidence to charge Percy Rush with murder, and he was free to go. Women at the inquest openly booed the verdict and shook their fists at Percy Rush. No other suspects were ever charged for the murder of Vera Page. It was an abominable murder, Superintendent George Cornish would later comment in 1935. I shall always regret that we did not bring her unknown murderer to justice. If ever a man deserves hanging, he does. Charles and Isabel Page moved out of the Blenheim Crescent House not long after the verdict. When Charles died in 1959 at age 67, He was buried with Vera. Percy Rush lived another 30 years and died in 1961 of natural causes. This has been Murder Minute. For true crime anytime, download the Murder Minute app or follow us on Instagram at Murder Minute.